Welcome to the Leadership Drives Podcast. Now here's your host, Mylena Sutton. Thank you for coming back for part two of our conversation with Shemeca Stewart-Isaacs. Now let's pick up where we left off. So as you work with um, the church, how do you get, what happens that you leave? Because that was two years during the time that you were there. I don't know what you were working on, but this is before the church. And then this is while you were in the church. So what happened? What was your transition out of the church? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the transition of becoming the church. Okay. So that's what sanctuary life is okay. about. And the, the pandemic is what really allowed this to come forth. Like, um, with a leadership lens, because uh, when I originally wrote this, I was like, can you imagine the church being boarded up and closed? By no means, none of us could imagine that. And then fast forward when I published this, yeah, we saw it in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the journey was for me was a transition of going to church out of habit mm-hmm. and then becoming the church. Because what I was noticing, even in the church that I was connected to, um, when I went into the Hedges and Highways journey, the church didn't come with me. Not that there was an expectation, but it was like only when I came back into that environment uh, would the, oh, I miss you, or oh, how you doing? You know, I wouldn't hear from anyone or we wouldn't communicate or engage unless I was in that church environment. And so for me, it helped me understand to see churches that we're connected to as a community, just like I do every other community mm-hmm. and those practices. And so I was able to step away, not feeling like I had to be overly obligated to show up in a building um, out of habit and ritual. But what am I doing that for those, a lot of people that have done the great church flight, where are they seeing God? And so this sanctuary life is a journey of becoming the only God sometimes people may see. What is your representation? Mm -hmm. What are you presenting? What are they walking away with? So sanctuary life is that transition to to help people um, own their space and being being a leader, even if they're not connected to a large group. Does that make sense? Kind of. Because I'm thinking that I may have missed something in there. So you're out in the community and you're trying to live and embody what it means to be a part of the church because you're not seeing relationship with church folks until you're in the building. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then from there, what you're wanting to do is to, I think that's where I missed something. Well, that taught me a greater awareness that there are a lot of siloed churches, just like I would look at siloed organizations or institutions. The church community is the same way, even though it may be a a global network of them. They're still very siloed because they're not talking to the, the free will Baptist right next door. You know? Very true. <laughs> now, that I get. I get that. I mean, now we can take a whole other tangent. <laughs> so are you working with churches in addition to the work that you do? Uh, and it's been spotted. It hasn't been an intentional marketing strategy, but okay. I think it's important. So mm-hmm. I look at these as 
a, an outreach tool 2.0 that I okay. believe churches need. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, you know, you remember what outreach tools look like, that little pamphlet. And then people too scared to talk about it, so they just shut it and walk away. Yes. You know, so I spent years focusing on outreach ministry and, you know, what do we do to reach people and be meaningfully engaged. Mm-hmm. And so um, moving forward in 2023, 2024, we're building that capacity to kind of re-tap into the faith-based community Mm-hmm. Um, with this offering mm-hmm. as a way for them to think outside the box as to how they reach people post-pandemic. I think that's actually phenomenal because I grew up Baptist. In the last five years-ish, I started going to an AME church. If I'm honest, I'm not necessarily committed to the, no- to the denomination, um, either one for that matter. I actually like the community at the church. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I often say to folks, I go to God in terms of prayer when I want to talk to God. I go to church to hang out with friends. (laughs) (laughs) And I said that to say, I do see um, not only silos in terms of individual churches, but frankly, I see it even within churches in terms of different groups, teams, auxiliaries. And where my question is going, I often think that when we talk about leadership, we don't include church organizations often. I think we, for some reason, we think leadership only happens in corporate spaces. I don't know why we think that. But one of the things that I think about is if you're leading in any environment that is volunteer-based, then you got volunteer in God. How do you galvanize folks to do things? Because if you got... Everybody, okay, we're going to interpret God different ways. You got this person, I'm going to come over there when I get off work and they're going to be late. They're going to do this. They're going. To... How do you galvanize leaders, people to be active in church? My home church right now, um, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but I find that we're a pretty small congregation. And even before the pandemic, um, we weren't necessarily seeing the level of leaders being engaged, at least I don't think so beforehand. And I think even post-pandemic, we're struggling a bit. And I often say, how? what's the carrot, the stick, the motivation in a volunteer setting, let alone a church setting? What have you found in your experience? Mm. I found it is very important for people to see themselves mm-hmm. in the vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it, you know, a lot of pastor's vision and then just follow the pastor and then therefore that's just the one leader and so people don't self-identify their roles as leaders um, unless they're appointed by this one leader that they look at Mm -hmm. and look up to. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at people that are already volunteering, like I came from a uh, I, I did 20 years in violence prevention in the lens, through the lens of rape crisis prevention. So oh, wow. primary, tertiary, and intervention. Um, so when I look at it from the standpoint of those volunteers are very different from a church volunteer. Mm-hmm. Like those people showed up to the organization mm-hmm. and said, I want to volunteer. They were willing to sit through non-paid 40 hours of training. Mm-hmm. Over to, sat, taking your Saturdays for a whole quarter mm-hmm. to get through that without complaint mm-hmm. they showed up mm-hmm. and then they got on a calendar non-paid mm-hmm. and they signed up mm-hmm. to respond to people in crisis mm-hmm. and that flowed freely you take the same concept to people in church and you also have to have sensitivity and awareness of people coming to the church broken and hurt. 
So it's kind of like the equivalent would be I wouldn't ask a rape victim to uh, volunteer if they're in the hospital bed in that moment if I'm in a person showing up. So I have to have that same level of trauma response to people that come into the uh, church that want to help. Where is the readiness? You know, where where are you on your journey? That's a very good point. Because we'll appoint out of a need mm-hmm. and then somebody doing something they don't even like mm-hmm. and that energy is getting all over what they're doing and something ain't working and we try to figure out well, what is mm-hmm. wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we never, sometimes it, even in the ministry aspect, we don't even ask people what they're called to do because we don't want them leaving too soon mm-hmm. to go do it. <laughs> you know, to your point, um, I, I, there's a woman in our church. She wanted me to volunteer in a particular ministry. And to your point, it was right after I joined the church. And I was like, that is not a good fit for me. Um, because I knew I would grow to resent it because I have teaching experience and I'm a woman, people automatically assume I want to do something with children. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, actually I was a Sunday school teacher before those kids hated me. And I think I hated them. (laughs) First of all, why we got to be here eight o'clock? I mean, can we meet a little bit later? But to your point, I think it's just that people are saying yes, perhaps, from their hospital beds when when they are healed and when they are feeling better um, or when they just simply become exhausted. They're like, I'm just not attached to this. I don't want to do this. And now you're asking me to give my Saturdays. You're asking me to do these things that just don't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people also feel a sense of duty and obligation to the church, whereas at the Rape Crisis Center or some other place, um, you don't feel obligated in that same way. Right. Or you know what you're committing to. Mm-hmm. But then also it doesn't necessarily tap into your spiritual nakedness. Like I can do a shift in the hospital and not have to be vulnerable and not have my issue exposed because I'm in rescue. Mm-hmm. When you're working with people that are volunteers that come to the church to be healed and the most of the time you're engaging with them is in this place that they've associated with the healing and then of course, we also have those journeys that they've associated that with a trauma mm-hmm. and you're asking them to volunteer and they felt used last time that happened. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you're navigating personalities, you're navigating people's callings, you're navigating um, their whatever time capacity they have. And then also ministries have this great opportunity to actually calculate people's time commitment as a tithe and a treasure and a talent because this is valuable in this day and age Mm -hmm. so treating a volunteer that a person that volunteers in church that really likes it is much different than someone that has been told they got to be there because this is a a good fit or pastor said it's Mm -hmm. a different kind of pressure um even for those that have spiritual fathers or mothers that may see something in you and that's why they have you there um, you are putting someone in a landmine of harm if that person's readiness isn't there because they are now engaging with new people too, mm-hmm. you know. And from the kitchen, the church is the reason for asking you to do something because they want to get you engaged because they want to keep you. Mm-hmm. That's the outreach, pull in mm-hmm. concept. Sign you up quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not always the, the right fit. And then um, it's based on implicit biases, you know, mm-hmm. um, and assumptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every church isn't ready to hear that either. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, though I know there's a strong need in the faith-based community, 
people's readiness and capacity based on religious traditions and norms um, may or may not open a door for me or create a stage because it's like you really exposing my kitchen and then there's so many protocol mm-hmm. things you got to be considered <laughs> that's exactly what I was about to say it, churches are very traditional <laughs> regimented places and then you're talking about um, figure out how I've been traumatized so you can help me figure out where I'm going to be able to best use my gifts and then you're starting to talk about I need to do this as pastor or somebody who's running this because as you were talking I was thinking would it be fair to compare church to social work? Um, just the way you put it, because I think if we looked at it in that lens, it might change our expectations a bit about what we're getting. And then I just don't know if I see church folks, and this is a bias on my part. I just don't know if I see most church folks as willing to do the work of helping somebody work through their traumas. I think we talk about it, but the actual work of that, I don't know if we're willing to do that. Yeah. I, I just... I know, because it goes against the tradition of what our routines are. People are more committed to the ritual of religion than the transformation of what our calling is supposed to be. That I see, too. That's scary. Like, do something different. That's black. Like, everything, the first round of changes that's evil <laughs> that's the devil. i have a friend who thinks yoga is evil i'm sitting here like you know what <laughs> oh, yes. i'm like yeah, really but you know and i also think it goes against this notion that a prayer will fix it um because i think prayer is part of it but i think if you need to do something in addition to that i think it turns on its head what we come to think of as the power of God mm-hmm. and perhaps needing something else is perceived as an insult to God that whatever prayer is supposed to give you is not sufficient to deal with your issue too. Mm-hmm. And it's the confidence that we have. We'll pray down heaven for someone else. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to ourselves, we just treat ourselves different. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at, you know, faith without works is dead, people are having faith and are doing works. But sometimes their works have made them busy, but it hasn't made them fruitful. Mm-hmm. And that's when you do that pulse check on, is this a God work? Or is this a I feel good or it is a good work? Because those have different outcomes mm-hmm. every time. Very much so true. I even share that with some of my own coaching clients. You're busy doing everything, but you are resentful. You're complaining about the things. Mm-hmm. And for those who are our Christians, I'm like... God says, you know, he loves a cheerful giver. He's not talking about just money. If you're going to give of yourself, but you're angry about it, maybe you should take some of yourself back. (laughs) We don't want all the parts. That's that leading while I'm leading. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. we're still trying to figure out what deliverance and healing looks like for us. If we have that space, I've just found people to be a lot less self-aware these days in doing their own Mm self-work, but very interested in fixing Others, it's like that beam and moat in real time. <laughs> Why do you think people are less self-aware? What's going on with us these days? We don't look at ourselves, or the parts of ourselves that we see, we cover up. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it's in a personality or persona that we put on, whether it's literal with lashes and, and makeup and. Uh, all the add-ons that come with that, it's like we that sometimes becomes a outward manifestation 
of how much real time do we spend with ourselves? Like, how much authenticity do you have? What's your comfort zone? Do you have any space mm-hmm. that you're 100% authentic? Because how can you begin to grow if you can't face yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a season, you know, I don't I don't pay much attention to mirrors, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it does. It's not that I'm afraid to look at myself, or I uh, am uncomfortable seeing myself. It's more so like I wasn't slowing down enough for my own self check in because mm-hmm. I was doing, 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 doing. And sometimes if we take that moment and hold that mirror, or have someone in our life that can hold that mirror for us, uh, we can slow down and see the wins that we overlook because we were in survival. Mm-hmm. So part of my leadership coaching. After we do our human being check-in, the next thing I go is, what's your celebrations? Mm-hmm. You know, and think, think hard, personal, professional, academic. Mm-hmm. Think of some things that you have done. Oh, and, and they're like, first they're like, I don't have any. I was like, none. Whole 30 days, none. And they're like, well, no, I just, I published this manuscript and, you know, like, but, you know, that's, and I'm like, you did what you yeah, that is a celebration. Well, I got a dissertation award. By, you got a dissertation award. So sometimes they're so caught up in the survival of where they are and uh, the negative self-talk that they give themselves. They can't even see mm-hmm. the beautiful thing that's developing mm-hmm. for themselves because of that disalignment with their self-awareness. I feel you. I hear you. Um. There was something you said um, about the refusal or inability to see it. I can't remember the name of the publication I was reading, but what it was saying is when you don't take the time to acknowledge your wins, something happens where um, when things do happen, you don't even feel that excitement anymore. And it's like you almost start to operate in this mid zone. So maybe your lows aren't extremely low, but you don't hit the highs anymore either because there's something that happens in the brain when we don't acknowledge wins, that everything goes on like medium and nothing is, you know, it's almost like bland almost. And I, I do think it's important that we know. Here's the question I wanted to ask you. So I am just digging your persona. I love how you've connected all of the experiences you've had to um, an undergirding faith system. Do you find that in the work that you do with regard to coaching, that some organizations lob biases in your direction because of your faith? Any organization that I work with, I know confidently they know who they're getting because I push showing up in my authentic self, whatever environment it is. Mm-hmm. I honor an organization based on what their needs are, and then we co-design what that looks like. When it comes to the one-on-one coaching, I'm most often working with environments that are already aware of cultural sensitivities, they're already working with BIPOC scholars or, you know, PLE that are also facing um, discrimination just based on their race. Mm -hmm. So there's a level of awareness to those. So how people want healing Mm -hmm. is something that I also integrate in the recommendations. Like we don't want to get to solutions if we're not taking the time to heal Mm -hmm. because it was too many community champions being asked to show up to tell white people how to stop hurting them Mm -hmm. and no that's not this is not what we need no 
this is that leading while bleeding. So you're expecting someone to tell you how to fix their reason that they caused on how to treat you better. And that is so limiting when it comes to how we show up because we shouldn't teach you how not to hurt me. That's hum- Remember, I'm a human and that should fix it. You don't, do you hurt other humans or is it just, you know, so let's recenter and get back to that. We're all human. Mm-hmm. And so that is going to be the baseline. Um, how people connect to ter- their faith. I have some uh, that believe very deeply in everything being connected. Cosmic, moon cycles. They believe in smudging. They believe in prayer and fasting. So I meet clients where they are, have an awareness of very module, various modules of healing um, that I'm aware of. So I'm able to connect with them. And then I'm also vulnerable to um, learn, you know, what is this meaningful connection to you? But they have to be anchored in something, whether it's their faith, their family, um, their community or their company. What is your motivation? And let's start there because that's what will be encouraged to recenter you as you're walking when times get hard again because it's going to happen mm-hmm. but what's your recentering while you're kind of changing that thinking of how you think about yourself and why you're in this situation so it has to be primary work that's done on leading from within that'll help make this process more understandable and relatable to the people that you're working with around you indeed how would you encourage someone to do the personal growth work since you said earlier you know we don't look at ourselves often you're talking to some random person and you could see that they're leading while they're bleeding um perhaps they have a blind spot perhaps they're resistant what do you say to somebody to encourage them to do that personal growth work i'll ask them where are they with practical application mm-hmm. it's like a pulse check mm-hmm. um if there's a specific scenario or something going on that I can ask them to kind of walk through to kind of see how they're thinking about it. But sometimes you can, pro- you know, just based on how they're helping others, you can see where they are on their journey. Mm-hmm. And it makes it less intrusive. Um, I get a lot of people ready to be naked with me, so okay. um, we don't have to go through a lot of the layers um, that you would have to do with building a relationship or meaningful engagement. Uh, but for those that are uh, stuck in not seeing themselves, I do a lot of reflective questioning, mm-hmm. you know, so that way it's something to think about so they can process and then kind of look at it through their own strengths mm-hmm. um, or their values to kind of see where they are. I am that mirror. So and I'm candid. So I'm going to ask those mm-hmm. questions that are sometimes pierced, but we can sit in it together mm-hmm. like it's no shame, no shade. But there's something deeper, like, what's come on, let's get to this root. What is it? Mm-hmm. Come on, let's get there. It's in there. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I have not met resistance to that part, but readiness still is important because you can do all that unpacking and then they may not have had readiness in time, but they had readiness in healing. And so um, what does it look like when it manifests? So being able to see and help people see their own milestones, our pathway towards deeper self-awareness that I do with clients that have that challenge. Um, And I guess I would say it's important also to know if there's something deeper going on, like there's um, mental health uh, challenges that are um, 
operating or creating a barrier for them to see where they are in mm-hmm. self-awareness because of their own biases or you know where they are in a mania or depression or mm-hmm. how anxiety shows up. So being aware of those factors too and how that influences their readiness to face themselves. I mean, I have some clients that I have to keep up with who's showing up um, that day. Because when I, I coach from a leadership coach from the stance of show up in your full self. Mm-hmm. And uh, with a person that works with people that experience expertise, someone that has um, created personalities or personas for their own safety, mm-hmm. um, you got to know who's showing up in your meeting. You know, and keeping track of that so that you know how to help or you at least know how to how to give that person a moment where they are to see themselves a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. As you have mentioned a, a, a bit ago um, in terms of looking at people's uh, accomplishments and things they should be proud of, looking at yourself, what are you, you most proud of? Mm-hmm. I believe I'm uh, most proud of my servant leadership journey. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing and meeting people from all walks of life, um, being in different spaces um, because of my service work of I Am Brilliant and the willingness to share Mm -hmm. the light of I Am Brilliant has gotten me into a lot of open doors and to meet a lot of incredible people. Uh, whether you're a person that's living transient in the subway in New York or Today Show or Nikki Giovanni or Master P, you know, helping people see themselves as significant and valuable. Um, I hear often um, people parallel, I am brilliant to I am enough. You know, it's in the I am family, so it's an affirmative. Mm-hmm. It's like it's to live and work and serve in a ministry that affirms God in people's passion every day. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey and clips of your life. Um, I must admit, this has been a wonderful conversation for me personally, as well as for the podcast. I have enjoyed my time with you and thank you so, so much. It is a pleasure. I appreciate connecting with you and definitely want to stay engaged. So you can check us out at ShamekaEbony.com and we want to know how you're doing and definitely stay connected with your community. Indeed, indeed. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Shemeca. If you found something in this episode to be particularly meaningful, please let us know. Message or tag me, the host, Mylena Sutton, on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Drives podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe, share with your family and friends, and be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Leadership Drives.